Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Frank Spangler, and this is Worldviews, a podcast that seeks to find harmony between the philosophies and worldviews of religion and science. Multiple lines of scientific evidence indicate that our planet is very old and that complex life forms have shared our planet for about 500 million years. Many Christians believe that the integrated narrative of the Bible teaches that this earth is very young, having only been around for somewhere between six to 10,000 years. The tension between these two viewpoints of old earth versus young earth is quite strong. In recent years, it has even become a debate within the Christian world itself, with more and more church groups beginning to accept the old earth paradigm. The perceived stakes are high on both sides of the debate. Are there ways to resolve these opposing viewpoints? Is there a way to find harmony between God's two books, the Book of Nature and the Book of the Bible? Over the last century, there have been a few proposals that have been put forward to reconcile the Word of God, the Bible, to findings of science on the age of the earth. In today's lesson, we're going to take a look at one of those proposals, drawn from the Hebrew word yom, found in Genesis 1. Please join me for this important discussion. One cannot read the first chapter of the Bible without quickly recognizing a lot of repeating patterns. One of the most obvious are the evenings and mornings that mark off each day of creation week. The question we want to discuss in this lesson is, how long are those days? Most Bible scholars and commentators agree that the day mentioned in Genesis 1 is best understood as a normal, literal, 24-hour day. Some have proposed that yom, the Hebrew word for day used in Genesis, would be better understood as a long era of time, extending even into millions of years in length. It is actually a rather interesting proposal, one that certainly would account for the discoveries of science and make life a lot easier when trying to witness to people who have been educated in the sciences. But uh, even though this is a rather intriguing proposal, before we accept an idea like this, I believe that it is important to 
put it through the test of some of the Bible study principles that we have learned. Whenever I am confronted with a proposal like this, I like to ask things like, is this proposal hermeneutically responsible? What about the context? What does the rest of the chapter say? What does the rest of the Bible say? What do other Bible translators have to say about the proposal? What do Bible commentators and scholars say? What mischief might this interpretation cause to other Christian beliefs? Let's take a look at it together in this lesson using some of the tools that we have learned. The proposal is that the Hebrew word yom actually has many different possible meanings. It can be taken as a 12-hour period, the time when the sun is up, when it is light out. It can mean a 24-hour period. It can refer to more than one day. It can be understood even as a year or years. It can refer to other places in the Bible as a period of time, an era. The proposal that we are considering today suggests that yom, as used in the creation narrative, would be best translated as a long period of time, an epoch, if you will rather than a regular, literal day. Before we begin putting this proposal under the microscope, we should point out something that every Bible student should know, and that is, it is actually true that most of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament actually do have many possible meanings, and that great care does need to be taken to find the best meaning for the words used when attempting to understand God's Word. The vocabulary of the original Hebrew used in the Old Testament is actually very small. In fact, it is said that if you were to learn just 750 Hebrew words, that you would be able to read a good percentage of the Old Testament in the original language. Just 750 words. The difficulty would come in understanding and interpretation. As each of these 750 words have so many possible meanings, and it is left to the reader to come up with the correct meaning based on context. That the Hebrew word for day could also mean a long era of time should not come as a big surprise to us, even in English. I can say, Things were a lot different back in my father's day. And most people whose first language is English would know that I am not speaking of one particular day 
in my father's life, but rather the whole time period or a large section of his life, his era. When we talk about Abraham's day, we know in English that we are talking about the whole time period in which he lived, not just one day. We think of the text in 2 Peter 3.8 that says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So, the idea that a day can mean more than just a 24-hour day is not without precedent in the Bible, or even within modern English. But, like any new proposal, whether in science or theology, it is important to do careful analysis on our own to make sure that the idea is sound before we accept it. Let's put this idea through some careful scrutiny. And as we do this together, I would like you to follow along with the steps so that you will know how to apply these same tests to all new proposals that might come your way. In our last lesson, we talked about some online tools that you can use that will help you study the Bible like a scholar. Let's use one of these tools to get us started on our examination of this proposal. Let's log on, and if you can, find a device or, or your computer, laptop, whatever, and log on to BibleHub.com with me. That's BibleHub.com. Let's type in Genesis 1 into the search bar at the top of the website and see that it shows up below. The gray bar will tell you which version is showing up by default, but you can easily change the version according to your preference by just going to the light blue bar at the top of the page and clicking on any version that you like there. Let's scroll down and find any of the evening and morning statements. Let's maybe go with verse 5. Just click on the blue 5 there and notice what happens. That one verse... Genesis 1.5, now comes up in over 20 different English translations. With this tool, we can very quickly do a survey of how other groups of translators have translated this verse. Let's take a quick scan. Very quickly, we see that, like the King James Version, all other English translations of the Bible translate the Hebrew word yom here as day rather than era. None of them take the liberty to say something like, and the evening and the morning were the first epoch. Some say one day, 
or day one, but most say the first day. So, using our first tool of biblical research, the comparative analysis of all other leading translations, we see that there is unanimous agreement that the Hebrew word yom, here in Genesis 1, is best translated with the English word day. But since even in English, day can mean a period of time, an era, the question still lingers somewhat. How long are the days? Are these normal days? Back when I was a young man, checking words of the biblical languages in concordances or lexicons was a rather tedious task. A lot like looking up words in a dictionary. What a concordance or lexicon will do is show you how the word in question is generally understood. The different meanings that it can have in the original language and how it has been generally translated when it appears in different places in the Bible. This can be very helpful in our quest to understand what the best way might be to translate a word in any given passage. What we want to do first here is check and see if it is actually true that the Hebrew word yom can possibly mean long periods of time. Now, how we do that is with the text that we are investigating selected. Just go up to the gray menu bar and select lexicon. The next screen that you will be provided with is a breakdown of every Hebrew word in verse 5, with a lot of good information on each word right on that first screen. You can even see what it looks like in the original Hebrew. But we want to dig deeper into the word yom itself. Notice that the Strong's concordance listing here in this chart has a blue number by each word. This lets us know how many other times that word is found in the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, if we click on that blue number, we are taken to another screen that has not only the Strong's Concordance, but three other well-respected concordances for our reference. As we carefully read through all of these concordances, we can see that there actually are some examples where yom does refer to time periods or eras, often in the same way that we do in English today, as in my father's day. But at the same time, we notice that there is no example of an extremely long period of time, as in millions of years. We do note that when yom is used to refer to a longer period of time than one day, 
it usually needs to be associated with another Hebrew qualifier word that would help the reader to know that it should be understood as something other than the primary meaning for Yom, one literal day. In other words, in most cases, Yom, when used alone without any kind of a qualifier word, or something else within the context of the passage, is and should be translated or understood to mean just a regular, normal, 24-hour day. If the author of Genesis wanted the reader to understand that each day in his creation narrative should be understood as a long period of time, he should have, and most likely would have, either used a different Hebrew word or added one or two more qualifying words to the single word, yom. Something like, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day of years, or the first day of times, or the first day of ages. And so that gives us now two strikes against translating Yom in Genesis 1 as epoch or an era of time. Comparative analysis and concordance tools, lexicons all point to a regular day. But let's not stop there. Bible commentaries are another tool that are helpful in taking a look at what other Bible scholars have had to say on any given verse or any given word in a Bible text. Now, I would advise some caution here. We should not put complete trust in the writing of any person, even Bible scholars. But it is helpful, I believe, to get a survey of what other thinkers have written about any given text. And Bible Hub makes that very easy. With the text in question still open, go up to the menu and click on Commentary. Here, you will be presented with over 20 different commentaries that you can quickly reference. Back in the day, this would have meant a trip to the library and a whole afternoon, if not a week, of research. Look how easy it is today. As I did a survey of these respected Bible commentators, they all tend to agree that the only responsible translation of Yom here in Genesis 1 is a normal literal 24-hour day. Now, let's think about using good hermeneutics. Remember from previous lessons, when we want to understand what the Bible is saying, we should always consider the original audience. 
the people to whom the message was first given. What was God trying to communicate through the biblical author to the original hearers of the word? Now, Moses is considered by many to be the author of Genesis, or at least large sections of Genesis. And yet, he likely was simply writing down, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the sacred oral tradition that had been handed down through the centuries. When we think of these people who passed this oral tradition down from one generation to the next, what do we think would be their understanding of day or yom? I believe for the shepherds of Abraham's day, who knew nothing about the age of the earth controversy, the age of the universe, radiometric dating techniques, the geological column, ice cores, ice ages, biodeposits, or plate tectonics. I wonder, would there be any need for the oral tradition of the creation week to speak of long eras of time for the creation event? Put yourself back 3,000 years ago. And imagine yourself passing on the oral tradition of the creation story to your children. As you said the words, And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Would there be any chance that you would naturally understand these words to mean that the first day lasted millions of years? Do you think that your children would understand it this way? I don't know about you, but I believe that from a hermeneutical viewpoint, the Hebrew word here, yom, is most likely best translated and understood as a regular, literal 24-hour day. Without more qualifying words here, there would be no reason for the original people to understand this as an era of time. As a general rule of interpretation, the most natural meaning of the original audience carries a lot of weight on how the word should be translated and understood, even today. Okay, the next tool we need to use is context. Remember how we have said in the past that if you really want to understand what a text is saying, you need to read the entire context that surrounds the passage. This is all the more the case when working in the Old Testament. Since biblical Hebrew has such a limited vocabulary, and each word has a variety of possible meanings, the only way that you could know for sure the true intention of the author is by the qualification of the context itself. Often the way that biblical Hebrew is composed is to actually offer that qualifying context. 
And as we examine the text, what are some of these qualifiers? Well, for me, the phrase evening and morning offers the first all-important qualifier. We might ask, how can an epoch have an evening and morning? What is the most natural understanding of the phrase, if not to refer to the evening and morning of a regular 24-hour day? When we look at verse 4 and 5 together, we see that light is created and is called day. Darkness is called night. The Hebrew word for the time of light is the same word here at the beginning of verse 5. Yom. It's the same. We can check that on BibleHub.com. In the lexicon tools, we can see that it is using the exact same Hebrew word, yom. And this word is contrasted to the dark time, the night. While this contextual research does show that yom can be understood as a 12-hour period, approximately, the time that the light is there, there is little evidence to me that Yom should ever naturally be taken to understand long epochs of time, especially within the context of the first chapter of the Bible. Now, when we look at the larger context of the chapter, we see that the seven days of creation establishes the seven-day weekly cycle that most cultures still follow today. When you think of it, there is really no natural phenomena that governs the week. One rotation of the earth on its axis gives us a day. The stages of the moon give us months. The rotation of the earth around the sun gives us a year. But it is only the remembrance and recognition of the creation event that gives us the weekly cycle. If the days of creation week were not literal days, but rather long epochs of time, they could not have set up the weekly cycle. One last evidence of context that I would like for us to consider today is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 11. This is actually taken from the fourth commandment and should be familiar to most Christians. Remember, we have pointed out that in order to understand a passage that is under scrutiny, under discussion, a problem passage, it is good to understand and consider even the larger context of the whole Bible. What does the rest of the Bible say about the passage in question? Well, here is what God says embedded right into the Ten Commandments. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, 
and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Some like to point out that one of the reasons why Yom should be taken as a long epoch of time is because the seventh day in Genesis is not marked off by the phrase evening and morning, and that therefore we are still living in the seventh day or the seventh epoch of time, and that it will only come to an end at the second coming of Jesus. And yet, here in this passage in Exodus, the seventh day is referred to in the past tense. It is complete. God is not seen as resting on the Sabbath day. It says he rested, past tense, and made it holy, past tense. So, Using all of these tools of biblical research, I believe the only responsible conclusion that we can come to is understand the Hebrew word yom in Genesis 1 to be translated as a regular day rather than an epoch of time. Before we close this study, please allow me to make a few observations about this day-epoch question that is being debated in the Christian church today. I have heard the testimony of several scientists who have become believers in God and creation by reading the Bible for themselves in an objective way. That's amazing. And they testify that when they read the Genesis account of creation, that it never even occurred to them that the day mentioned in Genesis 1 referred to a 24-hour day. That as they read it, they just naturally assumed that this referred to a long period of time, that it was a, a symbol for a long epoch. That is how they naturally read and understood it as they picked up the Bible for the first time. I say, praise God. Isn't that wonderful, the way the Holy Spirit works, that he helps people to see what they need to see at the time and covers their eyes to what they are not yet ready for. For these people, it was what they needed at the time, to see that the days were long epochs. Or they probably would never have gotten past the first chapter. And for that reason, if people want to understand Yom this way for a time, while their faith is being established, I have no problem with that. But at some point... Once faith in God is established, I believe that it is important to learn good principles of biblical research and then, with the help of the Holy Spirit as the teacher by your side, 
reevaluate some of these things. I get why many people would like to see the day here in Genesis refer to a long epoch of time. The scientific evidence coming in from multiple disciplines and entirely objective lines of research point overwhelmingly to a very old earth with evidence of complex life showing up as fossils in rocks that date back 500 million years. In today's world, where most educated people have been steeped in modern scientific knowledge, it is very difficult to be taken seriously if you start talking about an earth that is only 6,000 years old. And so, if it were possible to interpret the Hebrew word for day as meaning long epochs of time, that would be very convenient. Unfortunately, personal convenience is not one of the good methods of Bible study. You should never choose some obscure meaning of a Hebrew word simply because it happens to be convenient. This is just not how good Bible research is done. That is more like the shortcut method or the scissors method that we talked about in an earlier lesson. I maintain that following responsible methods of biblical interpretation is more important than convenience, even if it solves a major problem. Taking the convenient interpretation rather than the one that follows good principles of biblical research may quickly solve a problem for you, but it can distort the original intent and purpose of a passage and often create an unintentional negative cascading effect through other important biblical teachings. Let's take this as an example of what can happen. If the day in Genesis is understood as an epoch of time, then the weekly cycle has no real origin. The concept of a weekly day of rest becomes easily dismissed as simply a Hebrew cultural tradition rather than a principle of good living that God asks us all to do in his Ten Commandment law. I believe that great care needs to be taken to avoid making any of the laws of God meaningless. These are the kinds of cascading effects that can happen when we are not careful to use responsible methods of Bible study. That having been said, I firmly believe that the Christian church body, as a collective, is long overdue 
for coming up with a rational way to understand and accept an old earth paradigm. Fifty years ago, it might have been okay to propose that the geological layers of our earth were laid down by Noah's flood. But that proposal, for various reasons, is no longer very satisfying to those who examine the evidence closely. I believe that the longer the Church fails to concede to the scientific evidence for an old earth, the more we become irrelevant and ineffective in our witness, collectively and individually. When you think about it, it is becoming harder and harder to act on the Gospel Commission and still cling to the idea of a young earth. If you have ever tried to talk to your neighbor or co-worker about the joy that you have found in a relationship with Jesus and are inviting them to also accept Him as their Savior, you may have found that it often comes to a screeching halt when you say, and oh, by the way, if you want to join our Christian community, you have to also believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old. In today's world, that is the equivalent of asking someone to accept that the earth is flat and that the sun revolves around the earth. I ask, would you ever join the Flat Earth Society? Why not? Well, you have been educated with enough science to know that the earth is a sphere. If some group came to you offering wonderful fellowship, a rich experience, even eternal life, but said that you needed to first accept that the earth is flat, would you join the group? I'm guessing not likely. And yet, this is the kind of thing that you are asking educated people to do when you ask them to believe that this earth and the universe is only 6,000 years old. It has actually reached a point where if you insist that people accept a young earth paradigm in order to become a Christian, that you are putting up an insurmountable roadblock for them to accept Christ and the creation event itself. It has come to a point where people's belief in a young earth has become more important to them than the gospel commission itself. They have erected a huge gateway to salvation. They insist that in order to enter, you must believe in a 6,000-year-old earth. Now, I should be quick to add that I myself grew up in a very conservative church. In fact, we kind of wrote the book on flood geology. 
that so many others have adopted. I understand why many Christians are clinging to the idea of a young earth against all evidence that it is very old. To their way of thinking, according to their understanding of the nature of inspiration and their conviction about what they believe that the Bible teaches, that to suddenly do a 180 and accept an old earth paradigm would be for them the equivalent of giving up their faith in God and the Bible altogether. And given the joy that they have in their relationship with their Creator, they're just not willing to do that. Because of the perceived cost of what it means that they would lose, they will cling to what they believe. In their minds, believing in a young earth has become synonymous with everything that they hold dear in this life. Their Christian experience means to them more than reason, scientific evidence, or for that matter, life itself. And so the stakes are high on both sides. The gap seems too wide. Those educated in the sciences are never going to accept that the earth is young. And those who have been educated to believe that giving in to an old earth would mean giving up their faith in God are not likely to do so. Unfortunately, the danger here, what often can happen, is that even the most dedicated Christian can have a crisis of faith. If this is timed with an awakening to the evidence of an old earth, many Christians will actually give up their faith in God altogether. Because they have been conditioned to believe that it is impossible to believe in an old earth and have faith in God, having an encounter with scientific evidences at the same time as a personal crisis can be very faith-destroying. Many have simply tossed their Bible into the basement and never darken a church door again. If this does not happen to themselves, it often happens to their children as they go off to state university. I believe that this is so tragic and unnecessary. I believe that it is totally possible to have an unwavering faith in God and creation. Have a strong confidence that this Bible was inspired by the Creator Himself. And still accept all of the scientific evidence of an old earth. In fact, I'll go one step further and say that I believe that there is a very logical and biblical way to harmonize a belief in a recent, literal, 24-hour day creation week 
with all of the evidence for an old earth. How, you may ask? Well, for my thoughts and proposal on that, I invite you to tune in to our next lesson here at Worldviews. I believe that you will be surprised at how easy and simple the solution can be. Thank you for joining me for this discussion of the days of Genesis 1, and I hope to see you here next time at Worldviews. So long for now.